Welcome to the Lady Preacher Podcast, a podcast for the progressive Christian, where we talk about an all-loving God, an embodied Christ, and an ever-moving spirit. Dive right in as we wrestle with what it means to live out our faith in the world. Hello, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. I am Reverend Kelsey Beebe, the host of the Lady Preacher podcast. And today I am so, so honored to introduce you to a really brilliant woman who is doing some amazing, amazing work in the world. Deidre Riggs is here today to talk with us about eliminating systemic racism in the church, (laughs) which is no small ask. I was first introduced to Deidre when author and activist Glennon Doyle shared her writing a few years ago, and I have been following her ever since, and I encourage you to go do so. I have linked her Instagram in the show notes, so please, please go follow her. She She's just amazing, but we really, Deidre and I connected um, when she put out an ask on her Instagram, wanting to talk with pastors and other spiritual leaders about racism and the church. And you can find that again on Deidre's Instagram. But today I'm excited to dig in even more into this topic. Deidre recently shared a video saying that her goal, especially going into 2021, is to, I'm going to quote her here, eliminate systems, theologies, practices, and traditions in the church that marginalize and disqualify people who are different from us. Y'all, she is here to talk to us today about how we can be a part of this work. And I am so honored to have her here. Before we dive in, I want to be sure to tell you to go find her on social media and then subscribe to her Patreon page as a way to financially support her work and follow along with some of her writing and some of the worksheets and things that she is putting out. I have linked to it here in the show notes so that it is easy to find for you. You can subscribe for as little as $5 a month and join in this really important work of eliminating systemic racism in the church, which is incredibly hard work, but necessary work to be doing in the world, especially as Christians. Okay, my friends, thank you so much again for being here. And it is my honor and privilege to introduce you to the wonderful and brilliant Deidre Riggs. Good morning, Deidre. Hey there. How are you? I am well. I'm on vacation. It's great in the UP of Michigan. So it's good. How are you? Wonderful. I'm good. Today is um, my day off. So I'm just chilling at home. We have a fire in the wood stove. My husband's not here. Not that that's either good or bad. I'm just saying that I'm here (laughs) in my house being cozy. That's all. I love it. Perfect for the wintertime. Yeah. Well, why don't we dive in? Can you tell us just a little bit about who you are? What is the work and ministry and life that you do in the world? Yeah, I am me just a you know, woman in the world. Um, I think I've always had a strong, I know I've always had a strong um, awareness that 
the church in America, the institutional church in America is my first awareness was that we divided ourselves by race. And I started to recognize that at a really young age, like three years old, I started to notice that I didn't have words for it, but I noticed it. And I believe that kind of was the beginning of my, we were, we were one um, Brown family. I am a Brown woman in America. um, And we were a Brown family in a white church. And, you know, there's a whole story about how that happened, but I believe that God used that experience in my life to introduce me to this idea of unity in the body of Christ. And um, just that's really what drives me. That question, since I was little, how, why can't the church figure out how to worship together across racial lines? That's just been my driving question for my entire life. So as I did the back in the 80s, blogging became really a thing. So I've always been a writer and I started writing on a blog and um, was able to kind of get a foothold and and in, you know, people who were listening to me about that. And then I just felt I needed to give myself a title or, you know, what is this thing I do? And so I call myself a missionary to the white evangelical church. I feel mm. that I have some um knowledge of what's important, um, what makes that group tick, what's important to them. Um, Also many knowledge of many blind spots of theirs. I have my own. Um, I'm aware of that as well. So I I feel that I have a little bit of a unique perspective on that um, culture and maybe being able to help shed some light on what I think the gospel might really say about our division in that way. Mm, I love that. And this is kind of like your thing launching into 2021. You're wanting to to do some work on this. And I know you said on social media, I'm just going to quote you directly. You said, this is the year we eliminate systems, theologies, practices, and traditions in the church that marginalize and disqualify people who are different from us. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about this? People who know me know that I've kind of been on a journey with my faith, and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I think at the end of this crazy year that we've had, something that's become solidified for me is that I do have faith and I really am committed to um, seeing the end of these divisions that we tend to perpetuate in small C church. And I want to be sure that I'm emphasizing that I'm talking about the institutional church with a small C that currently exists in the United States. And it's that church, I think, I believe that is entangled in capitalism and even celebrity in some cases, and it's dependent upon financial structures to survive in its current form. And that's why, I mean, because of the way that that system is set up, we maybe sometimes fall asleep at the wheel is probably a nice way to put it. And Mm -hmm. that, um, things slip by that I believe Jesus came to help us be free of. Um, So I think the church, capital C, I think of the capital C church as the body of Christ, which doesn't need finances to survive. It doesn't need a building. It doesn't need um, committees and, you know, bylaws and all of that. I think we have all of that in the word of God. Um, 
And that capital C church, I would like to see infiltrating the little C institutional church more in 2021. That I have never heard someone speak of capital C church as body of Christ and little C church as the institution. I think that is a really profound way of naming which is which. I think we use those terms interchangeably without realizing it. And so it's good to, that's why I want to start out saying, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the little C church when I talk about this complicity and um, ways that we perpetuate division and it's division in the little C church, right? We need the little C church kind of needs that to be able to keep going. And so, and I think people, there are people in the body of Christ in the little C church, and we just have to be careful about not falling prey to like the way, quote, the world does things, but we can only serve one, God or money. We can't serve both. Absolutely. And I think oftentimes it can cause crises in faith when the little C church mm-hmm. causes harm on others, on people in the name of that capital C, in the name of Correct. the body of Christ. Well, maybe we can talk about that a little bit later too. That was my personal experience. So yeah, I, I'm curious if you can speak to what exactly do you see are the practices and theologies and systems and traditions that you've referred to that really do perpetuate racism and white supremacy? Mm -hmm. How is the church lowercase c complicit? I would say my belief is that, and maybe it's naivete, but my belief is that it's not intentional. I think Mm -hmm. this is something that's been inherited. And because of our constitution and the way that our country runs, the church and the state are separate. So the government is never going to say to the church, you need to desegregate. You need to treat women equally. You need to do marriages for gay people. I mean, the church just isn't going to say, I mean, the state just isn't going to say that because of the way things are set up. And so I believe that when we look at the church, little C church, the way that it is set up in our country, it's really the best picture of how we really feel, truly feel about race and gender and sexuality in our country because no one is regulating it for us. We're kind of self-regulating. So some things that I see in the church is self-segregation. And many years ago, and, you know, back in the 60s, Dr. King said, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in our country. And it remains, that's how it still is. James Baldwin said there shouldn't even be a black church in America. The fact that there is a black church in America speaks to something much deeper. That is, um, it's deep in the DNA of that little C church. And even in the DNA of some people who just love Jesus, you know, we just love Jesus, but we haven't been able to critically examine these traditions. There's a, there's this story of, this has nothing to do with church, but I think it's a good analogy. A woman was like, I want to cook this ham that my mother used to cook and my grandmother before her used to cook. And I need this special pan to cook it in because they always cooked it in this special pan. And then we have to cut off the ends of the ham to put it in there. So she asked her mom, mom, why do we need this special pan? And why do we cut off the ends of the ham? Mom said, I don't know why we do that. My mother just always did it that way. So she asked the grandmother, I don't know why we did that. Um, 
and then was able to ask the great grandmother who said, well, this was the only pan I had. The ham was always too big. And so I had to cut off the ends of the ham. I think we have a lot of that kind of ham (laughs) recipe in our churches where we have not examined. We don't know the full story of why. I don't think very many people even question why our church is segregated by race. Is this something someone told us to do? Are we choosing to do this? Why do we keep doing this? Our schools are segregated are desegregated, our military is desegregated, (laughs) you know, um, why does the church remain this way? So self-segregation, the supremacy of the white narrative in evangelical churches, whether it's spoken or not, um, the leaders are white people. There may be a, maybe the music minister is black um, or Hispanic. Um, Maybe there's a woman on the staff as the administrative person. Um, But the picture you see when you log on to these websites for churches and even for church conferences and, you know, speakers, it's all everybody looks the same. I don't think that's intentional. I think it just speaks to the circles that we run in. Um, There's selective silence in the face of injustice. They're speaking up about some types of injustice and not others. Um, My focus, my beginnings in this is race, but there's the silencing of women and members of the LGBTQ community. And I know we have to figure out our theology around sexuality, but we don't even talk about sexuality in the church, you know, normally. And these are just practices and traditions that become ideologies and then are or are thought to be theologies, right? But they are pushing people to the margins and pushing people out of the church. And then there's customized customized interpretation of scripture where um, we just say it means what we want it to mean um, because that's what the ham recipe tells us. <laughs> that it right. Means. It makes me think of um, in the churches I've worked in, there's this like, what are the f- five most dangerous words Um, that you could hear in a church. It's what we've always done. Yes. I think there's a lot of that in churches. Well, it's just what we've always done. It's just Mm -hmm. what we've always believed. And like when you rock the boat there, Mm. it, it like unleashes a lot of anxiety. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, um, are nervous about that because if they're wrong about this thing, does that mean that the whole faith, that the whole thing they've based their life on is wrong? And what does that mean for my eternity? What does it mean for my kids, my grandparents, you know, my um, everything, you know, it just shakes everything. And so it's really difficult to start to un, what is that called? Destruction, right? It's to deconstruct your faith that you've always believed to be true. And now to start thinking, oh my gosh, maybe it wasn't all true. And then that's so scary because now I don't have a leg to stand on. Right, right. And I think it has to do too with like, what can I trust now? You know, I I remember in seminary, I took a class and we had to watch this documentary about conservative Christian families who their children came out as gay. Mm-hmm. And it showed how much it rocked the faith of the parents and, yeah. and it asked a lot of them. And I had always grown up in a family that was open and affirming and a church that was open and affirming. Um, but my mom, my stepmom, who my dad remarried, I call her mom because mm-hmm. he became my mom when I was six years old. So mm, <laughs> she, yeah, that, yeah. she earned that title. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, uh, she had not grown up 
um, open and affirming and, and was not used to that. And I didn't realize how much I was asking of her those times when I really pushed her on that. And so, you know, I'm like 24 years old now watching this documentary and then calling my mom on my way home being like, I am so sorry. I had no idea that I was rocking your faith that much. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I grew up more like your mom that, you know, I just didn't grow up in a, in a faith community, even that even talked about it, right. To even have it be something that was something for me to be aware of. So for me too, it was a, um, actually had a friend who came out to me as gay and I had to reconstruct deconstruct and reconstruct my whole theology around that, my understanding of scripture and love and what that means. So, yeah. And it was scary. (laughs) It's definitely scary. Yeah. I like that you said, I'm sorry. That's cool. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, there's a whole lot of value in the deconstruction. Um, But you said that reconstruction piece, like we have to be willing to give people the tools. Yeah. You know, if we're going to deconstruct it, how, like we can't (laughs) just leave people in, in shambles. Like how are we going to rebuild? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I started to notice for myself a lot of like on social media and even things that I was saying was more like pointing out, this is an injustice. This is an injustice. This is wrong. This should be fixed and not getting a solution. Like, well, what, you know, because people want to know, well, what am I supposed to do? And I don't know how helpful it is just to point it out Hmm. always. I mean, I think it's good to point it out, make people aware, but to also say, here's something you can do about it. And that's complicated too. What is the the goal that you have? I know you're, you're working specifically on Patreon. You've created a platform mm-hmm. and using your social media. I know you have specific goals in mind with this work. Do you want to outline for us what those goals are? Yeah. Yeah, I have. And this kind of came out of that whole realization that, um, you know, we need to be practical about the, if I want to see a change, I need to offer some practical steps toward change and what has worked for me in my life. Um, Not that I'm there by any stretch of the imagination. So I have these three goals for 2021. And one is to become certified as um, an administrator of the intercultural or inter yeah, intercultural development inventory. I always want to switch those words up. So I say IDI for short, because that's easier (laughs) for me to say. (laughs) And the IDI is like, um, you know, we like we like the Myers-Briggs, we like the Enneagram, we kind of like to be able to say, this is where I am. This is who, this is how you can know to, or this will give you a better idea of how to relate to me. And this also gives me an idea of how I relate to the world. And the IDI does that for us um, with regard to where we are in our stages of intercultural development. So it gives you a name for this place where you are. So I want to be able to administer that inventory and then work with individuals and groups who are seriously committed to the work of anti-racism, which will flow over into anti-other things as well. Um, Because once you start that work, it opens your eyes to other things. Um, But I want to work especially with people in the people and groups in the context of personal faith and also faith communities. I just think we have My passion is there. We have a lot we can learn. And also we have a lot of influence. Um, And then I want to partner with smart people who can help me distill the experiences and the insights and the stories and the data into a resource or resources that make the information accessible to more people. 
I'm curious, you've touched on this a little bit, but how has your faith in particular played a role in guiding you towards this work and within this work? I have been on a real roller coaster ride with my faith um, more in the past 10 years, I think, than any other time. And a lot of it is tied to this work. Um, Seeing like when I was younger, I was very hopeful that the Little C Church was who they were telling me they were. Um, And I believed that loving and um, saying to white people in a church faith context that I feel a certain way as a black woman in this context would be heard and be like, oh, we didn't know. Let's, ah, we can fix that. Um, And instead, the message I got was I was seeing things or hearing things or Mm. it was all in my head or um, nobody wants to hear that. That's not a message anybody wants to hear. That's something someone told me specifically. that you're not like all the other black people. So I don't even really think of you as black, which was like denying a whole facet of my existence and my personhood. So, and then even though that was happening, I was like, keep the faith, keep the faith. God is good. Jesus will overcome this. I know what I feel and this is valid. And yet Time after time after time, you know, just being told um, it's not valid. I don't really care. Not that people were saying those those words, but so invalidating my experience was invalidating me. And that was coming from my faith community, Um, which then, of course, I transferred to God. Well, if you know, I'm maybe I'm not valid in this world. Maybe I'm not worthy. Um, And then when social media picked up and we started to be able to see people of color being killed and then the responses to that and especially responses from the white evangelical church, heartbreaking, crushing. um, I still felt repeatedly invalidated as a person and that my existence was futile, really. Like, you know, what you believe isn't even really true. But it was still such a fire inside of me, even though I was like, maybe it's not real. Maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe um, maybe the white people are right. (laughs) I just and I would try to step away from it. I would try to step away from it and be like, I'm just you just aren't you're wrong. You just don't, we don't need to make such a big deal out of this. It's, you know, quit making a fuss. And then Trayvon Martin would die. Um, Tamir Rice would die. Breonna Taylor would die. George Floyd would die. And each time I felt this is not right. And the church is not saying anything. And more and more the church is saying, I'm not saying the church is saying nothing, but overall, the response is pretty much silence. So I walked away from the church um, and decided to do this work outside of the church. But I just think it's what 
as people say, I'm called to do. And I think it's something that God wants me to do because every time I try to talk about it, it's framed in the context of faith. I tried it like Jeremiah. I try not to say yep. it, <laughs> but it just keeps coming out of my mouth. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it's, as you were talking, I was like, man, the Holy Spirit has placed mm. a call on your heart. Mm. And, you know, we try to ignore it. We try to walk away. Mm-hmm. You know, the world tries to tell us to walk away, but I see you and your persistence. And I'm, I'm wondering the question that is coming up for me is what has sustained you in it? I have this friend. <laughs> Her name is Michelle. And I know I might cry. I'm going to try not to. She she's white. I met her in Nebraska when we lived in Nebraska. And she is way more passionate about this than I am. She's not vocal like me. She just she works it out in a different way. Um, she has a different call on her life. But I know if I did not exist in the world, she would still be as passionate about this as she is now. It's not for me. You know, it's not performative. It's not um, I'm not her project. And she lets me be sad about it and frustrated and validates that she loves me. And I know that with, you know, without condition, she calls me on stuff when I need to be called on it. You know, she'll put me in my place. And she, every time I've said, I'm just done, I'm going to walk away. She'll say something like, well, yeah, maybe you'll just be taking a break for a little while. You just need to take a break, but you'll be back. (laughs) Um, And every time she says that, I think in my head, she doesn't know me. I'm done. I'm for real done. I don't know. Just having someone. And now we're so far apart from each other geographically, but still, you know, just knowing, you know, there's that whole thing, I think. I don't know who actually said that whole thing about being in the arena. You know, if I want someone who's willing to be in the arena with me and to keep saying, (laughs) this might kill you, but it's the right fight, you know? Mm. (laughs) Um, And she doesn't have to choose this fight. This is not the fight she needs to be in but she is in it and that sustains me Mm. I'm curious do you think it's possible I know like I don't think you would go into this work if you didn't think you had hope in it but Mm -hmm. do you think it's possible to eliminate racism in the church I do I don't think I don't I'm not counting on it happening before I die Mm -hmm. I mean this is 400 years and longer of that's what uh, we can't fix that overnight you know that's a long (laughs) history of yuckiness um but we have the spirit of god in us right and if we believe that not even so much if we believe it because that's true we can do this Mm. we have to decide if it's worth it to us um, and to those we care about and even those people we don't care about. Um, Is this what I say? Is this who I say lives in me? 
is this who, where I really get my strength and my power and my wisdom from? Is this where I get my, my boldness from or not? Is it from some, if it's from any place other than that, no, we can't do it. But, and I, all these words I'm saying are like, because of my whole faith experience, I don't want to have to say these words, you know, yeah. I just want it to be, yeah, we can do it. We're great people. We can do it. But the truth of the matter is we can't do it our, ourselves. It is the Holy Spirit in us. If I have learned anything from stepping away from the church, it's that I need the Holy Spirit to get my act together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the the fire that's lit under our butts. Yes, ex- absolutely. Otherwise, I'm just, I mean, I get tired of myself and my own motivations. Why am I going to do something? You know, I need that other thing that's not going to let me, it'll let me take a break every now and then, but not going to let me step away from what I think I, I do think this is my calling in life. This is why I'm here. Mm. In addition to, you know, doing fun things like enjoying outdoors and my crazy dog and my wonderful family. I mean, those are like bonuses. Those are perks. But the thing I am here to do is to keep talking to the church about unity. You said the word of God says the world will know that Jesus was sent by God because of our love for Mm -hmm. one another. I feel like this relates to what you're just saying. Can you talk more about that? That is one of the things that pulled me away from the church. So many hoops to jump through to be okay with God. So many, you got to vote this way. You got to say this thing in this way. You have to not, don't sit at the lunch table with those people. Sit at the lunch table. I mean, I'm exaggerating, right? But, but, but it is true about, you got to vote this way. (laughs) Um, And you have to jump through hoops and That is not the gospel. That is not good news. That is all about like, that's a country club. You pay your dues and you get to be a part of this. And that's very exclusive and capitalistic and, you know, all that stuff that goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. That is not what the body of Christ is about. God is about love. God is love. We don't really know what that means. I don't know what that means. I don't really know what capital L love is. I think I've had moments of experiencing it. Maybe once or twice I've offered it to someone. (laughs) Um, But that's a big thing. That love that God wants us to know and embody is beyond our comprehension. That's what transforms the world. That's what changes people. It's not your tithes and your offerings. It's not your um, estate planning for the church or even some other organization. It is this ability to open ourselves up to love, to trying to understand what that means. And it's not what we think it is. It's not easy to start, but it's once you get into it, then you're like, oh my gosh, why did I wait so long? You know? And Jesus came, he said, listen, all those laws and stuff. Now I am not a theologian. Let's just make that clear. I know this is the lady preacher podcast. I have not been to seminary, but I think Jesus was like, look, you have all these rules. You can't follow them. I'm here to help you out with that. And the way I want to help you out is to say, love, 
one another. If you really figure out this love thing, people will be like, whoa, what is that that's going on over there on that street corner? And they will want that. They will want to have that. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right that that that's what Jesus was about. And, you know, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, because what you're getting at is that it's the root of all of those things is how we love each other. Yes. we love God by loving each other. And like all these other things are just, you're just letting it get in the way of what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're, I always say, you know, it says in Genesis that we are created in the image of God. And if God is love, yeah, like that's, that's who we're created to be. Right. And so sin is everything that like, takes us away from that. And I think racism is one of those things and white supremacy and all those things that, that, that gets in the way. Yes. It gets in the way of our ability to truly live as God created us to be. Yeah. And I think, so you say things so well, oh my gosh. So the love we're created in the image of God and God is love and all those other things get in the way. And that's what sin is. And so for me, the, like the threading the needle of it, I don't even know if that's what I want to say. It's like, how do we present that to people in a way that is palatable, right? That it doesn't create a reaction, defensive, put up my wall. Um, and it's just like and that this is a loving gift I'm offering to you is to say to you, love is the thing. All that other stuff. Don't worry about. Yes, we probably have practiced some of those other things, but let's not get hung up on that. Let's just say, yeah, we probably have, and I should probably let that go. And let's just focus, not just, but let's work on this love thing. I think the the way you word it mm-hmm. is so powerful in that it's an invitation. Mm. Like my sense of you is that you are, you're like extending a hand and inviting people to this work, which I think is such a, a beautiful thing. And you're so generous in mm. it. You know, when I've, I've watched your Instagram stories and, mm. and followed your posts for a while. And I, that has always been my sense of you is you're like, I'm going to invite you. And like, I'm on this journey too. Mm. Mm. I hope so. I mean, I, I want to be, my vision is always of a table. Mm-hmm. There's got to be food, of course. And whoever, just come to this table, bring your favorite dish. Just come to the table. Let And maybe your dish is too spicy for me, but that doesn't mean I don't like you and I'm not happy to have you here. And maybe yours is a little bland, could use a little bit of salt, but... <laughs> I like having you here, you know, I want, and I want to learn from you too. I don't know. That's just all I just, that's my vision. I think, I think it's a little cliche. I mean, there's also, but that's it. I mean, it's just too, let's just, it's a round table. It's not one of those long tables. It's a round table. (laughs) It makes me think too, you know, I, I love that banquet imagery for, you know, the kingdom of God, everyone comes to the banquet. No one has the seat of honor. We all have just a seat at the yes. table. Yeah. And and I think, you know, you touched on this earlier too, is, 
is we get so divisive that like mm-hmm. the lowercase C church to me sometimes feels like a, like a high school cafeteria. Like that's the popular table. <laughs> and then, and they've like maybe pushed two of the tables together Yes, and like other people <laughs> are in the corner and like, you've got the band kids, over, you know, there's like, it's divided and you could yeah. like stand at the edge and be able to point like, okay, mm. these are the tables, mm-hmm. but like, that's, that's not the way God's banquet is. Not the way it is. Yeah, it's not the way it is. And I think if you spoke to anybody who's in the church, they would agree with that, right? They would say, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Even I would agree with that. But surely there are some people I don't want at the table. And I just need to be aware of that. I need to be aware that I don't have this figured out. I still have my biases And it might just be a person who got on my nerves, not necessarily a group of people, but a person. But even that person, God wants that person at the table. It's not my table. It's God's table. Yeah. And we have a hard time letting go of that, (laughs) letting go of the fact (laughs) that it's not our table. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. I'm curious. uh, You asked a question Mm. on Instagram Mm -hmm. a while ago. So I'm curious if you can talk about this question. What is the question that you asked (laughs) (laughs) and what were some of the responses? Maybe what, what surprised you, what stood out to you? So, um, yeah, so this was after one of the presidential debates and, um, a candidate had been asked if they condemn white supremacy in all its forms. And this person was unable to answer the question, which I don't know that that surprised me, but I thought, this is a person seeking the most powerful office in the land. How come this person can't answer that question? So surely there are other people who probably can't answer that question. And what's up with that? Why why can't you answer that question, people, whoever you might be? So (laughs) I asked the question on my social media. It was on my Instagram. And I said, I... It was a question. It was just, I condemn white supremacy in all of its forms. And then it was one of those little quiz things where you could put, they could choose yes or no. And like half of the people, there were a lot of people, maybe close to 2000 people who saw that question (laughs) and about half didn't reply to it. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Because they watched it, I'm assuming they watched it, they saw it, and made a conscious decision not to answer it. Which to me was like, whoa, some people are living in an entirely different world than I am, that they have, that they see that question as optional, right? That it was, I can choose not to answer this question. So, I mean, taking out people who just don't answer Instagram quizzes just on principle. I mean, that's cool. That's okay. Or you just had your Instagram stories running and you were changing the diaper or cooking dinner and you didn't see that. And so it just went by and you didn't, you know, whatever, didn't answer it. I wanted to know from the people who actually saw it and they know me and they follow me and they know what I'm about. And I asked them this question and they didn't answer it. Where does that come from? I don't understand. How could that question just go by unanswered? I didn't, I don't, I don't have a context for that in my life. Um, And it makes me think of Randy Alcorn, this Christian author. He wrote this book called Deadline. And in this book, it's a novel 
Um, the main character is a white man who's a journalist, but his, I don't know if it's his best friend. One of his really close friends is a black man. And both of these men are married so that to women and they go out to dinner and um, somehow the co- the topic of race comes up and the black woman says to the people at the table, what you don't understand is that for white people, no, for black people, race is like a marinade. I loved it because it was a food reference. Um, it's just soaked into who we are. We cannot escape it. We think about it every day. Every interaction we have is, um, it's part of every interaction that we have. For white people, is a condiment. You can choose to have it or not. You can tell the waiter to hold the salt or add more salt, or you can just act like it doesn't even exist. You can just have your meal with no condiments at all. But we don't get that option as people of color in the United States. And so choosing not to answer that question to me was an affirmation of that idea, that thought. And to have someone seeking the highest office in the land, perhaps having that same life experience and living in that same context where this doesn't even, it's not even a relevant question in my life. I'm not even going to, I'm not going to give you an answer to that, a straight answer to that. Um, I'm just going to let it pass. That I just couldn't figure out how are we living like this? I don't understand. How are we still living like this? I just don't understand. So um, I came, you know, I came back on Instagram and I just talked about that a little bit. And I did get people saying, um, I want to condemn white supremacy in all of its forms, but I'm sure that I don't. And I felt like answering that question with either a yes or a no wouldn't be the truth. Um, wouldn't be the full truth. So, I mean, I have my perspective of it and Instagram is crazy and it's not a conversation. It's not a podcast. It's a quick exchange between people who have never sat down at a table to talk with each other. Right. Um, So I learned a lot about that, but there were also a lot of people on the other side who said, post it again, post it again. I'll answer it this time. (laughs) And, um, messaging me and saying, yes, I do to condemn it in all of its forms. I do. I don't know why I didn't answer. Um, But we just all bring all of these things to every experience that we have for people of color in our country. We also bring this race thing to every encounter that we have. I maybe I can't speak for all people of color, but most of the people of color I know, this is always in our back pocket whenever we're entering any interaction. We're always looking, are there any other people here who are like me? Am I going to have to be really guarded here or can I maybe let my hair down a little bit? Yeah. When I, I think it's so interesting, the, the responses that you got, even the people who were like, I don't know why I didn't answer it, but post it again. I'll, I'll re-answer it. It's kind of like, you know, uh, in a real life situation. So not Instagram where it's like a click or not a click, mm-hmm. but like the person who could have spoken up in a moment, but didn't, and then walked away. It's yeah. like them getting that, that chance to like 
actually redo it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, oh, shoot, I didn't speak up when I could have spoken up. Yes. I want to go back yes. and redo that. Yes. And I appreciate, I mean, we don't get that chance in life, right? Usually we don't get, and we don't even get that chance where we have played out the scenario of how it will happen. And then that scenario, it never happens the way we played it out in our minds and we miss the opportunity. So it just has to be, we have to be aware of what we bring to every situation and not be afraid to speak up, you know, to examine all those reasons we choose silence when we should say words, we should be speaking out loud. Yeah, absolutely. I think with this work that you're doing and that you want to do with churches and and people of faith in particular, you're giving people this opportunity to evaluate where they are. Yeah. Are they a yes or a no to that question? You know, how are we giving folks an opportunity to examine and see how they might be in that complicit space or how they, you know, don't even recognize how response or lack of response might come across to somebody, Mm -hmm. especially in the context of faith? Yeah. One of my um, hopes with the IDA is it gives you... um, you're like an orientation stage. So you're either in denial, polarization, minimization, acceptance, or adaptation. And many times, like when George Floyd was killed or, you know, something happens in the news and it raises people's awareness again. The first question is, what can I do? And um, that question is, the answer to that question is so specific to the individual that it's practically impossible for me to answer and say, this is what you should do. What the IDI does, it helps you answer what I think is a better question, which is where am I starting from? What is my starting Mm. place? What is my, what am I bringing to this work? Who am I as I come into this work that I want to do? I can't know the work that I'm going to be able to do without knowing my starting place, right? I don't know where I am in relation to other people who are doing this work. I don't know where I am historically. I don't know where I am with relation to my family or even my faith community. I don't know where I stand with them, but this helps you say, okay, I know that I'm in polarization and that's what this means. And so for me to move forward, I might not be able to do any work right now with anybody else. Maybe all my work is on me right now. And here are organizations that can help me with that. And I think that's a much better place to begin and then be more effective in um, affecting change. I I don't even know where I am, right? How do I get to Los Angeles if I don't know that I'm in Hartford, Connecticut? You know, I got to know which direction to begin. I appreciate that. I feel like you know, we were talking about the deconstruction and the reconstruction. And I feel like that gives people a, a foothold of like, okay, this is where I am. This is where I can go. But even right. as you're talking, I I recognize within myself, like the, okay, if I took this, like where, how would I feel about, mm. you know, where mm-hmm. I am? Like there's a humility, I think yeah. that is required yeah. in being willing to say, okay, this is going to tell me where I am and where I need to go. It's kind of like, I'm standardized testing in a school like this is oh, it's gonna mm-hmm. not well it's better than that I assume but like right. you know it gives you an idea like okay yeah. this it's orientation mm-hmm. um, but it's also it means you then have to have a willingness to like keep showing up and right. and doing the work yeah and the I mean the basic assumption for people who are going to take the IDI is that they want to do they want to 
I was going to say do better, but they want to do the work. Um, And the pretty consistently what we find is that when you take the test, you're lower than you thought you were. I think I'm at polarization, but I take the test and I learn, oh my gosh, I'm actually at denial. It's totally confidential. Nobody knows your results, but you and me. But the other thing is that you can take it as a group, right? So Mm. everybody in the group takes it and then you get like your average score for your group. So your group as a whole is at polarization. But some of you in this group are in denial. Some of you are in acceptance. Some of you, some of you are at minimization. Um, And that's just to be aware. Not everybody's in the, even though we all go to the same church, we're not all in the same place with this. And you might be at one place with one group, like with regard to racism and in a wholly different place with regard to immigration. Right. And then let's say you take the test and then next year you take it again. You might have gone backwards on the scale, but that's okay. That's still progress because you're doing the work. And sometimes doing the work opens up your awareness of some biases you didn't know you had. So now when you answer the questions on the assessment, you're answering them with that knowledge um, Mm. available to you. Yeah. Telling the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm curious as we, as we start to wrap up, what is it that that gives you hope. You know, mm. what are you what are you leaning into most right now to give you hope and faith as you step into this project um, and goal for 21, 2021? So I when I was in the Little C church, I always would hear people say that they people who weren't in the church, that they wished they could, I want to believe, I want to believe, right? People would say that. They didn't grow up in church or they didn't have a particularly strong faith tradition. Um, and and I just always wondered, wow, what does it feel like to, to feel like that? I didn't, I couldn't understand that. Um, but then as I got older, I honestly felt burned and scalded and smothered by the church to such a degree that I felt I needed to step away. And and I really feel like maybe my belief in God was gone. Um, And I started hearing myself and feeling myself being one of those people saying, I want to believe, I want to believe, right? But at the same time, I was okay not to believe if it meant that it would have, I'd have to make myself small or jump through hoops or be shouted down or silenced as had happened to me many times in the past. And so it was like the little C church that made me lose my faith. My my husband is a pastor (laughs) and his support of this journey away from church for me has been like the ultimate gift to me. Um, My parents, I think, are fearful that I'm going to go to hell and I'm sure I'm on many (laughs) prayer lists for them. Um, But my hope now, I think, is that I am pretty sure that my faith was misplaced, that my faith was like in a made up God that was created by this small C church um, or not the fullness of God. Um, It's just enough God that the small C church felt comfortable with. And that God was created to keep money in the accounts and influence accessible to some and divisions firmly cemented in tradition and then reinforced by cherry-picked scriptures. Yeah, keeping people in their place. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Mm. But now I know, and this is my hope, that is not God. Mm -hmm. And that is not love. And so my hope is that God is love. Um, And I don't know what that means. And I love that idea of not being able to know what that means. And that gives me hope because I can rest in that. Mm -hmm. I can rest in that mystery. I'm happy for it to be mysterious. That's faith. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Is that what that is? That's what that is. All right, then. So my yeah. faith is giving me hope mm. at the end of 2020. Isn't isn't it weird that this is the year that that came together for me? So weird. Hmm. I, you know, before we go into rapid fire, I just want to say how much I value your voice mm. in this space of of faith and giving people space and grace to grapple with hard things and, and do the work. And I'm grateful that God placed this call on your life. I am sorry for um, the traumas that that little C church has caused, but I'm grateful for God's faithfulness and that Holy spirit lighting that fire under you (laughs) saying, (laughs) this is, this is your call. I'm grateful that you have not been fully silenced, that you, Mm. you are using your voice. I am really grateful that in this moment, while I've been away from the little C church, I've been able to meet people like you, you know, that the big C church, and I'm not trying this could easily become a division too, right? Little C church, big C church. I'm not trying to do that. Um, but people who have accepted my journey and um, shared with me that it is a valid journey, that it's, it's I'm okay. <laughs> you know, I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. I, I think what you're doing is not not dividing the the little C and the big mm. C, but you're trying to get that little C to grow so that it's, you know, so that it becomes that big C. Yeah. But there's just so much potential for that little C. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think, you know, in, in seminary, they used to ask us all the time, what is your growing edge? And I, I was always frustrated by that question. Cause I'm a, like, I want to, I want to not have a growing edge. Right. You know? <laughs> um, that's probably some Enneagram three in me, but right. you know, <laughs> I think, you know, the, the church has a lot of growing edges and, mm-hmm. and you are providing some space for, for that growth. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Deidre, are you ready for your rapid fire? All right. Yes. Okay. If you could untangle one piece of bad or harmful theology for everyone forever, what would it be? I would want to, and I've said it, I will say it forever. God is love. Um, That's it. God is love. Mm -hmm. Amen. Okay. What do you love about Jesus? So Jesus is just like so surprising to me. So I I don't know. This is rapid fire. So I'm trying not to talk a lot, but I listen to this little devotional on my phone every morning and I'm always like talking back to it. Like, go ahead, Jesus, listen to you. You know, (laughs) he just always surprises me. And I love that. Mm, That's amazing. (laughs) I love that you talk back to it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What is your favorite verse or story in the Bible? It is that um, John 17, 21, that God, Jesus is praying to God before 
they come and get him and take him to the cross. And he's like, God, I just want them to be one, just like you're, you and I are one and we're one. Let's just be one. I want everybody to be one. That is like, I'm always like, Jesus was praying that to God for us. We resistance is futile. We are going to get there. We are going to be united. Mm, amen. Amen. All right. If you could ask God anything, what would you ask? Oh, oh just one thing. I want to know. Like. Oh, my gosh, I can't even break it down to one thing. Let's just go with. Tell me about like space, like what? is up with that space and time mm. how do you experience those things what is the what are they like what how how did you create that what were you thinking what why do we have to experience it this way what do you experience it like mm. I love that I don't mm. I've never gotten an answer like that yeah. that's great oh <laughs> I love it I love it <laughs> okay changing gears a little bit what okay. is your go-to comfort food well, right now Okay, so long time ago, my husband and I, we were like always buying crackers. We had no money. I was like, why are we spending all our money on crackers? Surely there is a recipe for crackers because Nabisco did not invent crackers. And so I looked it up and there is this recipe for rustic wheat crackers. So I have, don't have a lot of time to bake. These don't take a lot of time. But since we've been home so much, everybody's been home so much, I've been making these wheat crackers. They are so so good. They just like, I don't know, eat them with, can I say beer on here? Eat them with some beer. Um, while you watch a Christmas holiday movie, they're not really a Christmas food, but I don't know. They're just very satisfying. Cheap. Crackers are year round. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes. Christmas, Easter, anytime. Right. <laughs> I yes. will put that link uh, in our Perfect. show notes yes. for the recipe. Yes. It's so good. So I'm excited. Good. Okay. <laughs> what do you know for sure? I know people are going to just be like, I know what she's going to say. I know that God is love. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I know that for sure. Mm -hmm. All right, Deidre, last question. What is filling your well right now? I just think probably being home. I know people are tired of being home. Home is my favorite place with my husband. Like we go, we can't go anywhere. So we get in the car and we go on drives just out into nature, like out into the woods. He hates it, by the way. <laughs> but I, I just love it. I love sitting in that passenger seat while he's driving. Music is on. Sometimes even now the windows are down and we stop and we get out and we stand by a river or something. Oh, no, it's beautiful. I mm -hmm. love it. That's Quiet beautiful. And together in nature, which is where I, I feel God, if you can do that the most. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Thank you so much for your time and uh, your wisdom today. Can you give us, um, give people an idea of where they can follow you on social media, on the internet? Where can people find you? How can they support this work? Uh, so 
I would love, love, love it if people would join our little group at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Deidre Riggs. And that's where you can become a patron to support the work that we've talked about um, today. I also do some fun. My Instagram is like just really crazy. I know you're supposed to have a brand and it's supposed to be consistent and all the same things. Mine is never like that. It's just whatever I'm thinking about that day. So you can follow me on Instagram at Deidre Riggs. I talk about race. I talk about injustice. I talk about church. I talk about shoes. I talk about my dog. I talk about home decor a lot. Um, But I love it there. And then I have a blog that is pretty old, but the stuff there is still relevant. And that's DeidreRiggs.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Deidre. I'm excited for this journey. I have signed up for your Patreon and I will encourage others to do the same. And I'm just so grateful for you. Same, same. Thank you so much. I really appreciate spending time with you today. Thank you. My friend, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so grateful for you. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. The Lady Preacher podcast is part of a nonprofit called Dancing Pastor Ministries. And you can find us online at dancingpastor.org or join the community by finding us on Facebook at Dancing Pastor Ministries. If you would like to be a part of supporting this podcast, there are many ways you can do that without giving monetarily. You can share our posts on social media, send an episode to a friend, or just leave a review. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so at dancingpastor.org slash give. My friend, you are a gift. Thank you for being here and God bless.